on the Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. This is the Roll Tidecast, the official podcast of Alabama athletics. Here's Roger Hoover. Thanks for joining us as we dive into another edition of the Roll Tidecast. I'm Roger Hoover, and we've got a fun episode lined up for you today. This time around, men's tennis coach George Husak and rowing coach Glenn Putre lead us off talking about their heated wing-eating rivalry that got its start after an edition of the Hey Coach radio show at Baumhauer's Victory Grill and extended to a now legendary taco hot sauce race at Rhodes Stadium last spring. We then catch up with Marie Robbins, a national champion gymnast for the Crimson Tide in the 80s who went on to a 25-year career as an administrator here at Alabama. First up, Roots Woodruff does his best to try and keep up with the coaches Hugh Sack and Putre, whose connection goes back to their days going to rival high schools in the Bay Area and coaching at rival schools in the West Coast Conference before they both landed here in Tuscaloosa. All right, well, we're here with two uh, Crimson Tide legends, uh, George Husack, uh, head coach of the men's uh, tennis team, and Glenn Putre, uh, head coach of the rowing program. Uh, let's dive right into it, guys. Uh, let's talk about the rivalry. Let's talk about the, the, the feud that's going on. I understand that it started uh, on a cold winter night in, uh, in uh, Baumhauer's uh, restaurant during Hey Coach, uh, or after Hey Coach. Uh, there was a little bit of a wing-eating contest. Is that right? There was a wing-eating contest, uh, and there was a result. But as Coach Saban experienced before halftime the other night, there was, a, there was some favorable uh, officiating in that contest. But as he took the loss, I take the loss, and I respect the loss. <laughs> well, Glenn, how do you respond to that? I mean, he's basically saying that it was a, a, a win under protest. He had multiple explanations for why he got beat. Um, he was grasping at straws, quite honestly. He was outclassed. He was outstripped. Um, he was, quite honestly, he was beaten soundly and wing eating. Uh, but, I mean, you could talk about the follow-up where we uh, – had a rematch, and when it came down to athleticism, uh, yeah, and and, and you go from a, um, a wing eating contest to uh, probably more of one of the, the greatest events uh, in, in the spring here at Alabama, uh, taco versus hot sauce uh, at the softball regional. Was it softball regional that y'all ran? Uh, actually, it was just a game against uh, Kentucky, regular okay. game, yeah. So taco hot sauce, for those who don't know, is the uh, the race at softball at Road Stadium. Um, uh, crosses the infield. I mean, I'm sorry, the outfield. And uh, who uh, who came out on top on that one? Well, uh, I mean, I'll start by saying that I was running a little bit behind schedule, so there wasn't a coin flip or anything. But George picked the more aerodynamic of the two options in suits. Uh, he chose hot sauce, which, as everybody knows, I mean, this we're we're talking about a taco that is. You know, it's a normal taco. It's less aerodynamic than a cylinder of hot sauce. Uh, he also took the inside lane on the track. Uh, it was there was no stagger start. Um, you know, he 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 manufactured this way to make it more entertaining by saying, "Hey, why don't we run backwards?" And then at some point, we'll, I mean, there were so many so many machinations to this this whole competition. But, you know, I say that and I have to, I will acknowledge that I fell flat on my face, uh, literally. 
Um, George breezed to victory pretty much uncontested, but he was ahead at the time of the disaster. Um, I, uh, I, I left some blood in the outfield of Rhodes House. Um, I had no idea that the warning track could be so... Um, unforgiving? Yeah, unforgiving. That's a good way of putting it. Well, of course. Now, now, Glenn, I will have to ask, I mean, you know, as, as a rowing coach and, and a former rower, or I guess still a rower, um, aren't you kind of used to going backwards? Wow. Yeah, there's, there's a there's some there's some to it, but I, I'm not So George used was to... actually giving you an advantage because uh, he's not used to going backwards. Not at all. Um, and but at the same time, um, he's not used to using his feet, just his hands, which he did when he fell and had to put his hands out <laughs> on the morning track. And as a coach told uh, advised myself and a fellow coach years ago about one of his players, he said, just let his athleticism take over. And I did. So. <laughs> and now is there a plan for the tiebreaker now that it's one and one? Yeah, I think we're going to uh, get back to maybe some wing eating again. Um, we talked about some things in the fall, but that didn't, that didn't with our crazy schedules, that didn't uh, match up. Um, we both went actually to rival high schools. So before this, I really didn't like them, and I really don't like them now. So we came from different parts of the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. I was down on the peninsula taking the train while he was up in Marin, you know, never crossing the Golden Gate Bridge much to get into San Francisco. I had to cross the bridge every day. I had to, his boat. I had to cross the yeah. bridge every day <laughs> to get to my high school, which was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, I... I rode a school bus every day. Did you ride a school bus to school every day? I, actually, I took uh, public transportation, Sam Trans. Mm. So neither one of you had to walk up uphill both ways to school? Uh, no, but I did have to walk uphill to school. It was downhill on the way back from school when I chose to walk or missed the bus that occasionally came on time. So I ne- I've never had the displeasure of having to walk on campus at his alma mater. Uh, I have no idea whether he's had the pleasure of viewing the Pacific Ocean from the campus of St. Ignatius, but um, you know, if he has, I'm I'm sure he took pictures. Uh, there were no cell cell phones, so no selfies at that point. But probably somewhere on Kodachrome, there's a picture of George with the same head of hair, yeah, few less wrinkles, yeah. So I have my uh, letter, letter jacket, letterman's jacket that we can wear a lot next time during the wing eating contest. Um, mine doesn't mine, fit. Mine will fit me. His won't. Which is why I won the wing eating contest. <laughs> Someone's better at eating. Yes. Um, now he, he says that you uh, you pr- uh, proposed that your high school was the better high school, the more successful high school. It's not even. I mean, it's just a fact. For sure, as I showed him a photo of our football team, members of our football team, they won uh, their section title today. Though his team did win earlier for the division race, but what matters is you know the postseason. No, what matters is head-to-head performance, and in a head-to-head competition, my high school beats your high school. We can't control the brackets that the state comes up with. You're fortunate you didn't have to face them again, or else that trophy that you held up all right well yeah yeah <laughs> well now you're on the different side of um the, the, the wing eating contest and taco hot sauce but obviously 
the same side when it comes to Alabama. Um, George, this is year eight for you. Yes. Um, and But both of you kind of made a similar journey in the fact that um, you came from West Coast schools, head coaches there, um, but came to Alabama. What was it like for you to make that transition? Uh, I'd say, well, when Glenn arrived, it was trying to figure out because we had another little uh, rivalry because he was from Gonzaga and I coached at Santa Clara. So, again, in another pair of schools from the same conference, they didn't like each other. Um, <laughs> but I think the the biggest adjustment was really, I guess, to get kind of uh, on the sensitive side is just being away from family. So um, having extended family away, that's been the biggest adjustment. But the the easiest adjustment has been the, you know, the, the arms that have embraced us here in the community. Um, a lot has changed in the eight years that I've been here. Uh, where bounce houses and covered playgrounds and something to do with our kids was most important eight years ago, and now they're all over the place. So Glenn doesn't have to worry about trying to drive up to Birmingham to try and find some fun stuff for his kids. It's all here now in Tuscaloosa. Um, But I think it speaks to the university, and I think the university is actually very diverse, Um, and even our athletic department is pretty diverse from from different areas. So... The same thing applies. There's a great love for this university, and it, it extends all throughout the state, and you feel it all throughout the country and, and even the world when you go to other places. So, um, And how old are your kids now? Uh, my kids are 9, 9, and 11. So they were 2, 2, and 3 and a half when we got here. So, and, and I remember that the, right after you got here, your wife had to go out of town or wasn't around. And- I had to go out of town, and she had to be here. Um, for a stretch of where we had more rain and thunder and lightning than we had ever experienced before. So, um, yeah, it was an easy, much easier transition for me just from the simple fact that I had a job and I was here and didn't really have to think about what to do with the kids all the time. But, um, but she's a, a journey woman, and um, I'm very grateful that we made this move because it's been a great move for us as a family, 100%. But they were babies. I mean, one or two uh, when, when you got here, were three maybe? Uh, yeah, so uh, two, two, and three. Yeah. So it was, uh, we still had diapers. And they'd grown so. up, so they've grown up here. Yeah. yeah. And Glenn, your kids are a little bit older. No, actually, uh, June just turned four, so she was two when we got here. Okay. And Patrick will be six. Um, December 31st, so he's still five, so he was three mm-hmm. when we got here, so two and three, so similar ages, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, we didn't, we actually didn't have a lot of difficulty transitioning them, um, because there were, you know, and again, I don't know if, how, how old the options are from an education standpoint, but our kids were able to get into a program here at UA uh, on campus, um, the CDRC, uh, which is um, run by UA and you know the early childhood development program and they hadn't got started school yet so there was a lot of things that made the transition relatively e- easy for them um, the uh, I mean as George as George stated I think the hardest thing was leaving family and friends behind and and um, you know family still in California um, and you know, trying to rebuild uh, those support networks that had been established, you know, over the, you know, I had spent total over 20 years in Spokane. So I had a lot of really good 
uh, friends and connections that I built up over a you know good part of my lifetime. Um, but you know, coming here, the kids transition was great. It's been um, you know one thing that I, that really stood out to me was uh, how open the coaches were to me, and then in turn. Um, the coaches and the, their spouses to to my wife Molly, who who made that transition as well. And the first three months I was here, she was back in Spokane, you know, getting the house sold and packing everything up and taking care of all the logistics while, while I was out here trying to set the program up. So I, you know, probably a lot of similarities and and how lucky we are to have you know that support. When you talk about support, um, you know. Since you've been here, uh, they've opened up the uh, Robert Allison indoor facility, um, and right before you came on board, Glenn, they uh, opened up the boat boathouse down on Manderson Landing. Um, talk about the facilities. Um, and you, know, you you came from a program that was doing well, but doing well with a lot less mm-hmm. than you have here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I mean, from a facility standpoint, we are we are very fortunate. I mean, we have everything we need and and to a certain degree we're still trying to figure out how to utilize best all the things that we have um i don't even think we've gotten to the point where we've been able to maximize the facilities that we have and that's kind of an ongoing piece of the program's development is how do we better utilize space to provide a better experience for the student athletes and um better springboard to competitive success um there's a lot of square footage and it's really close to where every where all the students live which is super convenient for us and george i mean you guys i mean there aren't a lot of um schools um, especially in the south where there's you know the weather can it can be uh, changeable by the day um with a six court indoor facility um what's it like to be able to to, and, and you have 12 courts um outdoors right next to it yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fantastic situation for us. A fantastic setup. I've I've visited other just a couple other schools that have a similar setup, uh, with twelve outside and six indoor. And it's this is by far. I mean, it's fantastic. But it's it's not even the the facilities. It's the people that work within the facility that help us out. Um, those people treat it uh, like it's their house, and so. It, it's one thing to have a, a great place to play. It's another thing to have people that are behind you working at the facility and, and you know, maintaining it and upgrading it. Um, and as Glenn said, you know, when, when I first got here, I was trying to figure out how it all work, piece it together. But once you got kind of, okay, this is how it works, you need to upgrade and move into a, okay, everyone else is doing that. So now how do I, how do I keep, keep uh, improving yet it's not just about building new things or asking for new things so it's been a fantastic thing and it's i'd say the biggest challenge or the easiest thing for us is once people are here they're amazed the biggest challenge is to get people here not because they don't want to come here but you know a lot of other schools are are offering a similar experience but this is a -a one-of-a-kind experience here which i feel very strongly about once they come here they can really feel it Coley Stickles, uh, the, the new swimming and diving coach, said that uh, when he got here, he took one of his the first assistant he hired on a little tour, and he kind of looked at him, and, he, and the assistant uh, Reed Fujian looked over at him and says, "How do people not know about this? This is like a hidden gem." 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something, especially, you know, with um, the new aquatic center coming online, the baseball stadium has just been upgraded. You know, the, the y'all's programs both have fairly new facilities. Um, but more so than that, I mean, like you said, is the competitiveness that obviously you two, um, you know, gear towards each other. But, um, you know, tennis is coming off a great season, um, made it all the way to the um, quarters or the semis of the, uh, of the main draw of the NCAA. Uh, the doubles, we got to the finals, yeah, finals. Um, and we reached the postseason for the second year, which was nice. But um, yeah, no, it's a, it's, it was a good, pretty good season for us. And then Glenn, uh, in your first year, uh, um, took uh, took Alabama to the uh, runner-up uh, in the in the Big Twelve, which is the highest finish. Uh, now, explain to people though why you're in the Big Twelve and not the SEC. Well, it's really simple. There's only two teams in the SEC that sponsor women's rowing, us in Tennessee, and uh, there's only five in the Big 12, and you need six to earn an automatic qualifier to the NCAA championship. So uh, the Big 12 and the SEC have pretty good relationship when it comes to rowing because right. we work together to get that AQ. Um, Big 12 just had larger mass than the SEC sure. did, and uh, the Alabama, prior to being a part of the Big 12, was an affiliate member of another conference. Uh, and it wasn't until the Big 12 was actually big enough to think about taking some affiliates and becoming a conference that we, we jumped on board with the Big 12 because it's a um, one of the most competitive conferences in the country. Right. The, the level of competition was going to be what you needed it to be to get to the NCAA. Um, and... Uh, so, you know, like again, you know, on your resume, it's going to be a little confusing for some people that see that you were the uh, Big 12 Coach of the Year uh, in your first year. What kind of buy-in did you get? Because obviously you have to have buy-in from, from your athletes and your coaches and your staff to, to get to that point. Um, what kind of buy-in did you have kind of right off the bat? He had to eat a bunch of wings in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So wings are basically your superpower. Eating wings is one of my superpowers. Eating is definitely one of my superpowers. But uh, with regards to the team, I had been to other places and I had transitioned, you know, been a first-year head coach at other places in the past. And quite honestly, I had made mistakes, you know, as I transitioned to that position. When I was younger, I came in and I said, you know, I, I know I know everything, and you have not done well. So if you do what I tell you to do, everything's going to be better. And understandably, got a little pushback on that because I hadn't really earned anybody's trust. Um, so in transitioning here, uh, it was really important for me to find out what the athletes wanted to do first, and then um, gauge their expectations with what they were capable of doing. And we were lucky that their expectations coming in were equal to what they were capable of, so their ability to accomplish it was a little bit easier than if they had set their sights beyond something that they were capable of. Um, every every program has their own little traditions. George, one that uh, if, if you follow you on um, social media or the team on social media, um, there's a certain birthday uh, mm. tradition uh, with Alabama men's tennis. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, for every business or birthday, um, someone's going to get some sort of birthday cake, whipped cream, whatever in their face. So that's a tradition. When I was coaching at Illinois, uh, the first day I arrived on the campus of Illinois, the coach picked me up. We went to the store. He said, "Go grab some whipped cream." 
and he had a pie crust and then we drove to an apartment of a player and he goes let's go and i had no idea what we were doing we walk up the stairs the player opens up the door and he smashes him he chases him through the apartment and smashes the the pie in his face and it just continued there uh, i avoided any sort of pieing on my birthday when i was at illinois i then went to usc and kind of brought it with us uh, to the team there um, again escaping any sort of whipped cream in my face on my birthday and then uh, brought it here and it's been going for eight well seven and a half seasons uh, this year there was a feeble attempt on my birthday um, I can't even say it was in a I don't even know what it was it was like someone spit on my cheek it wasn't even whipped cream but um, or like a bird flew across and I happened to get pelted on the cheek um, but yeah no we have fun with it but they always expect Earlier, it was more like it was going to come from me, but now it's, you know, we've got academic advisors doing it. We've got uh, food servers at restaurants. We've got uh, parents that have done it. So it's been kind of a fun thing. So maybe we can get Glenn on his birthday. I, I was going to say, this sounds like uh, right now, I don't think he's going to avoid it like you do. Yeah, no. The one thing we had to avoid once was we, we had Avery Johnson come out for a first serve, and it happened to be his, it happened to be his birthday, and... I was very tempted, but it was his first year, so we just opted to give him a bottle of wine. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably a better choice. When's your birthday, George? Uh, it was October 25th. Oh, yeah. And mine was November 27th, so. Okay. So just have to wait until next circled. year. It's circled. <laughs> until next it's circled. year. Um, Glenn, is there a, a, a Crimson Tide tradition that you've started here or, or was here when you got here? Uh, wow, that's a great question. Um, there, there isn't anything that's popping out that you know something as as fun as what's 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 happening with the men's tennis team. Um, you know, we we are a relatively young program. Um, the team didn't exist prior to 06, 07. Yeah, you're, you're teenagers so, now. <laughs> so, well, we're just gonna be teenagers, yeah. Um, and and uh, I do think that's something that you know we need to kind of work on going forward and uh, you know I know somebody's going to listen to this on the team and they're going to say coach what about this and I'm going to be like you're right uh, you know I, I missed that but I, yeah off the top of my head I can't talk my way into an answer um, both of you you know obviously very different sports but you know I, I was a, a swimmer at Georgia and a, and a sprinter at that so you know the, the worst race I ever had um, lasted 17 minutes and that was mm -hmm. the mile um you guys aren't even sweating at the 17-minute mark. Um, what's it like to, 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 to coach teams or coach um, a sport where endurance is such a vital part of it? Go for it. Well, I mean, in the spring, I mean, we're our, our races hopefully are – if they take 17 minutes, something went horribly wrong. He's lost wrong. his job. <laughs> Pretty much. The boat is sunk. Uh, you know, for us, I mean, it's uh, – you know, we're, we're trying to – to get the get the race to be as short as possible, right? Because right. um, the faster it is, yeah. the more chances you're going to have to succeed. But um, the reality is, is the biggest challenge for us, and I think probably to a certain extent, George, is that the the inability to coach during the course of the competition or make some significant changes um, that it's going to affect the outcome. Um, when our, at least in rowing, when our athletes start their race, they're a mile and a quarter away from any coaching. And once the race starts, there's no stopping until they finish. So um, 
a lot of how it feels on the shoreline is going to be completely different than what it feels to the athletes. Um, does that you know? What I'm yeah, saying? and then George, for y'all, there there are tactics. There are yeah, we um, can get involved uh, with coaching, and so sometimes the coaching is just keeping silent. Sometimes the coaching is putting a hand on the on the player's shoulder or making them laugh or or really saying some things that we probably can't say on this podcast. Um, but fitness and, and I think the most important thing at that time, they're going to be uh, at match time, there are going to be some comments that you make that can impact a match, can impact an outcome. Um, but it's so important for at least my, that I've learned over time is to take myself out of the player's body and to be more of the fan and to to cheer and to uh, critique, um, you know, rather than make as if I'm out there playing because it never, I will never win one point, but I can certainly lose points for my, for my players. So, um, yeah, it's, a. Uh, I think less is more, the older I get, less is more. Maybe that's just because I'm either, I can't tolerate doing more or I'm, maybe getting a little smarter as I grow older or maybe just more ignorant. So I think the kiss rule in coaching applies, you know, to keep it simple. We don't say oh. the last <laughs> word in, in my house. We keep, we'll say, keep it simple, silly, yeah. uh, as opposed to the alternative. But the, uh, I mean, it, simplicity is always yeah. a far better option than overcomplicating things. Yeah. And I remember being in a match. It was a national championship match. The last one I played in, before coming here and um, I was on court with a guy and literally singing La Bamba to him in Spanish uh, for two and a half hours and our volunteer at the time came over and he's like what are you doing and he'd run over to the head coach and say you're not going to believe what George is doing over there but that's the guy was so scared it didn't matter what I the player was so scared it didn't matter what I said so singing was a good thing and turned out we won and um you know, it's a good memory down, down. That's a great memory. So, so Glenn, what, what's your go-to song? Oh, my go-to song? Row, row, row your boat? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, <laughs> I just try and not embarrass myself by not knowing any of the music that the athletes play when they're training these days. I, I try and keep myself abreast of the latest uh, uh, trends when it comes to music. And I've I, I don't want to date myself too much uh, in their eyes. So... I certainly don't want to embarrass myself by singing a song that they might not even remember or understand, you know. So, you know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star isn't going to get them very far from a no. motivation standpoint. <laughs> I guess in the spirit of the South, um, as I've become more religious, I come down here and Drake, God's plan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Drake? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I think we're all looking forward to... Uh, uh, Putre uh, Husak 3. Uh, this time it's it's for the, all the marbles. Uh, we appreciate you coming on with us and uh, roll tide. Roll, roll tide. tide. Thank you. Thank you. I think everyone is looking forward to more in the Husak Putre rivalry. And now Roots Woodruff sits down with Marie Robbins, who ahead of her recent retirement looks back on an Alabama career that includes competing in the Tide's first SEC and NCAA gymnastics championship team in 1988 
serving as a graduate assistant in the Athletics Academic Center while getting her law degree from UA and then finished after a three-year stint at the SEC office with a 25-year stretch as an administrator at her alma mater, closing her tenure as Senior Associate Athletics Director and Senior Woman Administrator for the time. All right, Marie, thanks for coming on uh, the Roll Tidecast with us. Uh, we wanted to sit down with you before you got out the door, uh, retiring after 25 years as SWA. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, and, and, of course, amongst that, uh, that time uh, that you've been in administration, you know, it's 20 years, almost 20 years as a senior woman administrator. Um, but before any of that, you were a freshman gymnast here at the Capstone um, from Lorton, Virginia in 1987. Um, first of all, where is Lorton, Virginia? Well, it's a suburb of D.C. I was uh, born and raised in the D.C. area, and my uh, mom and dad both worked in the city for all their life, and then uh, was recruited to come down here and uh, fell in love with it. Um, and your brother also is still working up in the D.C. area. Yeah, my brother uh, has been 29 years at the White House as an electrician, so he goes with the house, not the administration, <laughs> I like to say. And, and it's uh, interesting. Um, when you were talking uh, uh, recently, um, both your parents um, were, were 30 year veterans, uh, I think 30 year plus veterans. Uh, your brother's at year 29, and um, you're, you're retiring after 25. Does that make you feel like, you know, um, the, the short timer of the bunch? Short timer or the better saver? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. During that, uh, your career here, um, obviously a lot of success. Um, you're part of, um, you know, got here in 87, um, part of Alabama's first SEC um, championship in 1988, and then go on to win the um, national championship out in Utah uh, in 1988. And then, you know, you were also part of a uh, uh, SEC title as a senior in 1990. What was it like to be a part of that first championship rush for Alabama gymnastics? Yeah, you know, you don't probably don't realize it at the time, the historical significance of it um, until, you know, later in life where, you know, and your team is introduced as, you know, the first team uh, of any women's sport to win a national championship at Alabama, first team other than uh, football, uh, men or women, to win a national championship. So, um, you know, those things sort of resonate with you later. In the moment, you know, it's just like, you know, just uh, surreal that, you know, we were able to come together. Um, I think what I remember most about that year more than anything is that, you know, we, it wasn't all smooth, you know, we had times where uh, we had some bumps in the road or we had to, we spent more time in practice uh, talking and, and clearing the air than we did practicing. And I think, but all of those moments, you know, built toward that team and winning that uh, championship. And, uh, it was quite a run. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, and you had a chance to reminisce about that uh, not too long ago, about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, we, we celebrated the 30th anniversary of that 88 team. Uh, first of all, does it seem like 30 years? No, it sure didn't feel like 30, 30 years. But, uh, you know, what a special moment that, uh, you know, Coach Duckworth and uh, her staff put together for, for that team and uh, to reminisce and um, tell stories again. And uh, particularly we, uh, Dr. Bell and his wife Susan were gracious enough to have our team over at their house. And I'm not sure that he's had quite the same collection of uh, people and storytellers uh, at his house since, but um, it was great fun that, that weekend. And that's one of the things that really struck me is that um, that team is so, so close still. I mean, you know, it, um, everybody came back, everybody was um, had the same stories. Um, 
and you, you, one of you would start a story and then the, the other would finish it or oh, remember about this or that or the other. Um, yeah, and that's true. I mean, you know, we, we may not touch base every day, but we, you know, keep in touch. Um, you know, the other thing I remember about um, that year and really credit to our uh, senior captains, um, Kathy Billado and, and Allie um, Belden, that, you know, they brought us together as a team out of the gym and so you know we'd go thursday nights and it would be tv night and knots landing was the show at the time and so we'd go over to their apartment and and watch tv and just gather as a group or um you know motorhome trips you know in terms of how we traveled you know we were all in the motorhome and we'd pile in and david or mark would drive and we'd stay up and take turns staying up and keeping them awake getting home so those I think are the days that formed us you know as a unit that you know you know we really value more than anything you know Greg McElroy uh, the, the great Alabama quarterback and now with uh, ESPN and the SEC Network um, told a similar story about his uh, 2009 championship team do you think it's something about the great teams that they are not just great competitors or great athletes but they're great teammates yeah and I think that just doesn't happen you know it takes um you know good coaching to you know form each and every individual but then it takes you know leaders and they don't necessarily have to be the seniors and it can be you know uh any number of members of the team but yeah it's those relationships that are built you know out of the practice venue that I think build championship teams. And that's what I think our coaches today are striving for is just building that, the culture within the team, the intangibles that, you know, when you hit a, a tough moment in the championship that you can overcome them because you've been together and you know how to, uh, each other will react. And I think that that's one of the things that, that is, you know, kind of a touchstone for great championship teams is that, you know, they have the great coaching and the great, but they're also great you know, great teams together. They're very together. Um, that's one of the things that I think is consistent through time in athletics. Um, but a lot has changed. Oh, a lot. Um, so you know, from, from your from your days as an athlete back in, uh, like I said, '87 through '90 um, to now, what do you think is kind of the the things that have changed in collegiate athletics? Well, I think I alluded to one earlier, just in terms of how teams travel. You know, we. Uh, didn't have a bus, you know, today they travel a 55 passenger bus. We used uh, Tiffin motorhomes that were donated by the Tiffin family. And so we'd pile in a motorhome and the coaches would drive. And we never spent the night in Auburn. We would leave uh, early early afternoon or lunchtime, drive down, have lunch in Montgomery and, and go and compete and go to Wendy's on the way out of town and, and drive right back. So um, today now they'll go spend the night and do that. Uh, you know, I think the other thing that's changed is, uh, you know, just what coaches' roles and the hats that they wear. You know, our coaches, Coach Patterson and David, they wore a lot of hats. They were the coach. They were the counselor, the psychologist. They were the strength and conditioning coach. They were the travel planner. They were the marketers, the promoters. Um, and the equipment room manager, you know, they doled out the equipment. I think, you know, Sarah even did laundry, you know, at her house. Um, so I think that those things have changed and it's just the support that our coaches have today um, across all our sports to help them be successful so that they can devote the time 
to what they do best, and that's coaching and training their teams. And for you, um, you, you left uh, or you, you finished up your career uh, in 1990 and then um, went to law school. Um, and then, uh, but also stayed uh, with, uh, with working for the, well, started your career, I guess, working um, at Alabama um, over in uh, academics. Um, and, and were there when uh, Alabama won the 91 championship. Um, uh, what was it like to kind of get your start um, in that environment? You know, I think uh, it's really just kind of taking advantage of some opportunities that were uh, open for me. Um, while I was in law school, um, was a graduate assistant for academic services for student athletes um, under Kevin Allman, who's, who's here still, and just, um, you know, got my foot in the door and then just the third year of law school I was uh, um, helped out volunteering the university hosted the SEC gymnastics championship so you know it's about networking and just you know putting yourself out there and so you know led to the SEC internship and you know just I think for young people just taking advantage of uh, opportunities to volunteer and you know get your foot in the door because you never know who you're going to meet along the way that might open an even better door for you. And you talk about uh, you know interning at the SEC and which turned into a full-time position. Right. Um, what I remember is uh, you were sent to the um, SEC Women's Tennis uh, Championships in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, how did you end up there instead of the SEC championships here, which were the men's tennis that yeah. same weekend? So it's still an a intern at the time, our, our newly full-time um, member of the staff up there. And the that time of year, there's a lot going on. Well, so the SEC Women's Tennis Championship and the SEC Men's Tennis Championship are the same week. And the women's were in uh, Fayetteville, like you said, the men's here in Tuscaloosa. And so Pat Wall, who was... Um, just a great mentor for me up at the SEC office and then Debbie Corum on the championship side they were like Marie the women's tennis championship is super smooth the coaches are easy to work with you'll do great up there we both need to be in Tuscaloosa because the men's tennis championship is far more um, involved the head coaches don't get along and so you'll do great so off I go fly into Fayetteville Arkansas never been there before get to the hotel well damn if a tornado doesn't come through <laughs> Fayetteville and rips up the court I get a phone call from the tournament director Marie we need you down at the courts and the like two and three net posts are down the fencing surrounding the courts are are torn apart and uh, so naturally we couldn't use the all of the outdoor courts there were four indoor courts and we spent from 7 a.m. the next day to like 2 a.m. in the morning getting the first round of matches in and on four indoor courts and uh, so I was thank Pat and Debbie to this day for sending me to the easier of the two championships well it's certainly a trial by fire uh, I, I was there for with Alabama uh, for that championship and uh, you're right we were actually circling uh, right after the uh, right after it had gone through and we're landing and you can see the the swath that it had cut through campus yeah um, so. so you know nothing but trial by fire and learning how to adapt and you know try to make it the best experience for the student athletes but i tell you hats off to the arkansas um folks for getting the facility back in order for what would have been day two of the championship to you know get back on the outdoor courts and then uh you know that kind of leads me into you know you talk about pat wall and debbie corum 
but you also had some great mentors, and not only Sarah and David Patterson, uh, who were your coaches, and then you worked with Sarah and, and both of them actually as an administrator, but also Roy Kramer, um, Mal Moore, Bill Battle. Um, what did you kind of take from those kind of mentors and into your leadership style? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Commissioner Kramer, um, along with Pat Wall, he, he opened the first door for me um, after my um, law school uh, career here. But, you know, Commissioner Kramer, um, they had at the time internship opportunities up there for um, post-grads. And so, you know, to this day, um, thank him for opening that door. But um, I think more than anything, just uh, from Commissioner Kramer, just a man of integrity. And so, um, you know, what I took from him was is that, you know, you can never apologize for doing the right thing. And so that uh, resonated with me as I started my career, particularly in the compliance side of things and coming here as Associate AD for Compliance. Um, just, you know, always doing the right thing, not only um, from the way of the rules and so forth, but also, you know, for your student athletes and for your coaches. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, mid-June when, you know, kind of my retirement was sort of out there, one of the first calls I got was from uh, Commissioner Kramer. And, you know, I, you know, I don't talk often, but my phone rang with him. I was like, great to hear from you. And he's like, you're too young to retire. And I was like, exactly why I should. So uh, he's like, well, hats off to you. So um, every now and then we'll we'll stay in touch. But um, and then here, you know, um, uh, Coach Moore, you know, just what a man of class, you know. And so, uh, again, I think everything that he did was um, resonated class. And then, you know, same with Sarah and David Patterson, all of them, uh, you know, under Coach Bryant's um, tree, so to speak, both uh, Mal and Sarah and David. So um, that's what I take from them. If I have this right, um, you were part of the first program at the SEC, or was it nationally, but it was hosted in the SEC, Remind me what that was. It was National Letters of Intent, or it was... Oh, sure. So, yeah, what what landed me full-time at the SEC office, because I was an intern for about a year and a half, um, Commissioner Kramer and the Southeastern Conference uh, took under its, you know, umbrella of responsibilities managing the National Letter of Intent program for all the conferences. At the time, the conferences, the Collegiate Commissioner Association, managed the National Letter of Intent program, and as opposed to now the NCA does. And so Commissioner Kramer needed somebody full-time to uh, manage that, do interpretations for it, make sure all the conferences had the actual document. Um, which back in the day, again, was hard copy, so we'd print out, right. you know, thousands of copies, make sure each conference got all that they needed, and then prospects would sign the National Letter of Intent, and then if prospects wanted to, you know, navigate their way out of the um, provisions of the National Letter of Intent, then I would help them interpret it or uh, field their waivers and so forth. So, uh, yeah, it was my first opportunity. It's, it's a classic right place, right time um, story in terms of landing your first full-time job. So, uh, But not too long after that, uh, as Coach Bryant once said, Mama called, and right. you came back to the capstone in, uh, I think it was the, uh, the um, fall of 1996 or maybe uh, right, right after that. Mm-hmm. Um, since that time, uh, you've been a part of you know 11 national championships, 39 team titles in, in the SEC conference, in SEC competition. Um, but as we've talked about before, I mean, amongst all that, probably that most amazing time was that 2011-2012, uh, and really the, this, you know, from January 
to June of 2012. Um, we win four national titles, um, including uh, you know three in, in, in a row in April, May, and June. Um, it starts in January, uh, down in New Orleans, shutting out LSU. Right. Um, and, and, and Did a, they cross the 50? I, I, they crossed the 50, but it was like um, late in the fourth quarter. Okay. Um, but it was, and it was once. <laughs> you know, Sarah tells a story, Sarah Patterson tells a story about um, she didn't go to Coach Bryant's last national championship game because she was like, we're always going to be there. Um, and I think one of the things that I took from that, and I think you as well, is that, you know, you never um, – take for granted the opportunity to play for a national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, were you were there in New Orleans? I was, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so you were there at the beginning of that little run there, um, that, yeah. that rush. And then um, we get to, uh, to April and uh, gymnastics um, is, uh, you know, has, is coming off of winning the championship in 2011, the NCAA championship in 2011. We're in Duluth, Georgia. Yeah. Um, and it, for the second year in a row, it comes down to the last event um, UCLA is sitting on a bye um, with a really great score yeah, that, great that, that, score. that would win, I think would have won all the championships up to that year. And Florida's on floor and we're on beam. And, you know, as a former gymnast, you know, that's not a recipe for success on the beam. Because, right, yeah. Um, but, you know, Alabama just starts killing it. Where were you standing, and what do you remember about that last routine? Yeah, well, I think from my perspective, the beam was to my left, and um, – you know, you get in those moments and, you know, I think I could watch more when I was an athlete than I could as an administrator. And so unfortunately, I I would watch bars. I don't know what team was on bars, but I would watch bars, but bars finished before beam. So then I was stuck watching beam, but what, what a great lineup that was. And, um, you know, just routine after routine, just, you know, what they had prepared for and to be able to execute that on that night. And um, so I'd kind of remembered back that the year before when um, Sarah had won, I think it had been nine years since they'd won, you know, and, you know, as coaches, you know, you're ever going to get that chance again. And so when they won up in Cleveland, um, just really, you know, was a phenomenal moment for their careers. But then to do it back-to-back, I think, you know, then the first time in program history to win back-to-back NCAA titles. So um, just a super cool moment for really for them and for the squad and, you know, to do it on beam. And I remember, um, you know, afterwards just, you know, celebrating that team and, and just the remarkable success, particularly on that event, to close it out and win a championship. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you, you talk about not wanting to watch Beam. It, it is, um, you know, I've been working with gymnastics uh, 25 years now, maybe a little bit longer, and um, I still, well, even at dual meets, you know, when we're on Beam or when anybody's on Beam, it's just it's hard to watch because there's so little margin for error. And to be able to win a championship on that event, last rotation, um, is, is pretty amazing. What I remember about that is you and I, um, right after uh, that was over, um, huddling up and um, organizing the uh, – the, the reception, uh, you know, people coming back when we when when the team got back, and then also um, the first ever uh, um, celebration of champions That's uh, right. in Coleman Coliseum. Yeah, um, yeah, I think we sat in the the back press room yeah. uh, and got on the phone with some folks back on campus and uh, planned that out pretty much right there in about thirty minutes. Yeah, it was, uh, um, but it was one of those things where. Um, you don't want to take anything for granted, but uh, when, when you do win, you want to you want to make sure everybody has the opportunity to celebrate. Yeah, and and, and you know that uh, reflecting another thing that's changed over the years is that you know 
now there's some folks back on campus that are prepared for those moments and um, you know to be able to push things out and um, and really celebrate in 1988, the people who would be planning that kind of thing were on the on the bus with you. That's right. <laughs> and then, uh, so, and that was Alabama's sixth national championship in uh, in gymnastics. Um, I think that was 14, maybe in, in football. Um, but you get to uh, you get to May, and uh, right. some first timers start to peek out. Um, you and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, you know, we're sitting in. Um, Road Stadium. Road Stadium, um, watching the golf, um, which is up in Nashville, online, um, which was a you know fairly new thing to be able to, to track it um, on your laptop or your phone. Right. Um, while um, Bama softball is playing uh, Michigan uh, for that for a chance to, to advance, and and uh, softball was losing. Yes. Um, so talk a little bit about that day. Yeah, you know what I remember. I think you know when we talked about this is that. You know, we're sitting in Rose Stadium and, you know, for an opportunity to go to the World Series. And, you know, we start to hear from, you know, women's golf is in the mix. They have a chance to, to make this um, happen. And, you know, for uh, Mick and Susan to win their first national championship. And, you know, I felt like, you know, really a part of me was at all four, even though it's physically only at three of the four. Right. Uh, but, you know, sitting there in Rose Stadium and tracking on golf and then to hear that they had won and um, just a really neat moment. And then to hear Rhodes Stadium and, and that, the crowd there just embraced that when it got announced that uh, women's golf had won. And I think, you know, to some degree it might have, you know, sparked the softball team and then you know to win out against Michigan there and advance to the World Series both in the same day within you know hours of each other yeah well I don't even know if it was an hour uh, yeah it, it was definitely one of those things of, uh, of uh, just a really amazing feeling um, and then you know so it's our eighth trip to the women's college World Series um, and we, we start winning and just kind of get on that roll yeah. Um, and you were out there uh, in Oklahoma City. What, what was it? What was it like to, to kind of um, be a part of that? Yeah, you know, what um, was a really neat moment. Um, I know that for them, but for me, just watching um, is you know that Sarah David's uh, youngest starter Jordan was a catcher on that team, and you know for to watch Sarah and David watch their daughter compete for a championship that they had you know coached and so for them to have that moment was was really neat and of course you know Jordan's like family to me so seeing you watch her grow up yeah absolutely so um you don't think really anybody gave us a chance there particularly you know once we got to the championship series and against Oklahoma and you know you end up it's in their backyard. Yeah, I mean, it's their home home court. The best thing for us, though, was that um, two things, I think. The Thunder were playing in the the playoffs, and I, yeah. thought, I think they were playing downtown at the time. But nonetheless, you know, the softball fans, they come out there in Oklahoma City. What a great environment that is. And um, But, uh, you know, Alabama softball, you know, loves the rain, and so it started <laughs> to rain. And, you know, we sat it out, sat it out, and um, so it ended up what – finishing up late in the day we were behind and and after the rain delay came back and um i remember being up top with uh coach moore and when it that last out hit and uh jackie Trainer struck out uh their best hitter yeah. you know struck her out and 
um, you know, I think I sprinted down maybe leap three steps at a time just to try to get to the field. And uh, that moment for Coach Murphy and, and his staff, um, yeah, really cool moment. Well, what I remember is in watching it because I was back home, um, you know, watching it. And it was late. I mean, it was yeah. really late um, because of the rain delays and whatnot. And they had to kind of get it in that day because there was weather for the next week. Right. Heavy weather. Um, but during one of those rain delays, you know, um, Oklahoma's in the uh, in their dugout, kind of huddled down and not looking particularly happy. And Alabama's players were kind of dancing in the rain. Yeah. Uh, they were embracing the moment. And like you said, after that, it all went the tide's way. Yeah, well, and, and Coach Murphy, he would always say, from the very first time we went to the World Series and to, you know, even to the last year, he says, you know, there's never a bad day at the World Series. Yeah. And so even if it's raining, it's not a bad day. In fact, you know, we had rain this past go around and, you know, just hung out in the in the clubhouse for two, three hours. You yeah. know, never a bad day at the World Series. I love that. Um, and then it's, it's almost by fate, um, you know, we win those three championships. Um, first time we'd ever won, you know, more than one uh, women's title uh, ever. And then certainly win three in the same year. Uh, but... Um, Moments after that, construction starts on the uh, Sarah Patterson Plaza, which uh, championship plaza, which you can see outside your window. Uh, what's it like to, to, to come to work every day? Have come have come to work every day for the last um, you know nine years or so, and, and look out the window and see that that encompasses so much of your career, both as an athlete and an administrator. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of cool. You know, I have a great view from here. You know, what's been even better is to work the same hallway with you know, the coaches that are recognized on that um, plaza, uh, you know, Sarah and Jay and uh, Mick and Patrick, um, you know, they just resonate excellence every day. And so to share the hallway with them and um, despite us, you know, cutting up from time to time and playing uh, practical jokes on one another from time to time, it's, you know, they just, what I think, you know, our fans would, you know, appreciate knowing is just how hard and not only those coaches in this hallway but all coaches all across all of our sports how hard they work day in and day out um you know mentoring young people and developing teams you know both on and off the court of fields of play so um they really do put in the the work um every day and you talk a little bit about the mentoring aspect of it and it's something obviously you've done a lot in your career and you've been a part of um and helping bring coaches here. Um, you also um, helped bring the, uh, the first ESPNW campus conversation uh, here to Tuscaloosa. And the, we were the first ones in the SEC uh, to host this night. And not only that, but um, you mentioned her earlier, Kathy Billado Varney mm -hmm. um, was captain on the 88 team um, and a very successful uh, businesswoman um, throughout her career. She came back and was part of that. Um, but it was a moment where Alabama's past got to kind of mentor its future. Um, what was it like to be a part of that? Yeah, so that was one of the, the coolest moments and the proudest moments. So in my career is it, you know, again, it's just relationships. I had, you know, a relationship through, um, probably opened up, quite frankly, at the World Series with Carol Stiff, who's uh, vice president at ESPN. And um, so we'd keep in touch from time to time. And she reached out to me about, um, wanted to host this ESPNW Campus Conversations uh, platform that they had just recently started. And, um, you know, we were 
honored to be the first SEC school that um, they reached out to. And uh, just so many people on our staff, you know, invested time to pull that off. An event just for our female student athletes where, um, you know, we brought in Holly Rowe was the MC, and, you know, very recognizable to our young people. And then some um, four female alums that you know, we're in those student athlete shoes not all all that long before and talk about the great pivots that happen in life and that's pivoting from being a student athlete to entering your career or in for example Kathy's um, situation pivoting uh, careers or jobs later in life, you know, so there's always going to be pivots in, in your life and how you can navigate those. And so it was really neat. I think we had a full house here in Coleman Coliseum of our female student athletes and just something that even a couple of years later, as we do student athlete exit interviews and so forth, some have remarked that that's one of the best um, events that they had attended here at the university. And it's interesting because I think that some people would think that that was something that just you, you, you call the people, you say, hey, can you be here for this date? And it happens. But that was months and months of planning. Exactly. Yeah. So and, and, and that but it pays off when you hear that, you know, our young people took something away from it and, you know, uh, then are able to navigate their own um, pivots in life um, later on. And then, you know, just some kind of random moments, I think, from, from your career that uh, kind of stand out to me. You were a senior when uh, Dana Duransky Duckworth was a freshman on that 1990 team. Um, and then she comes back um, and is able to uh, become the head coach of her alma mater. Um, what, what do you kind of remember about that transition? You know, I think what I remember is that um, two things. One is that how, you know, gracious Sarah and David were in that transition time and that, you know, uh, offering support but not being, you know, aggressive in their support. If Dana, you know, needed their advice, she reached out and, and they were gracious in giving advice. Um, and that but, doesn't happen everywhere. No, it doesn't, you know, and um, so you got to be, you know, have a certain level of confidence as a young new head coach to seek that advice out. Um, at the same time, you know, I think on the flip side of that, Sarah and David just knowing that wanting to give Dana and her staff, you know, the space to, to grow and develop their own team. So, but, you know, I think that it also showed that, you know, Dana was prepared for that moment, um, you know, leading that team uh, to the fir her first uh, SEC championship as a rookie head coach um, back in Duluth, if I recall. Yes, um, as a matter of fact. And so that was kind of neat for her you know some other moments to stand out for some of our other coaches um here uh of late is is coach curry and her leading uh our women's basketball team to what's now five straight wins over tennessee and 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 that streak and so you know what what's really neat about right now is we have a set of coaches head coaches on our programs that are um just quality people um you know, and good at their craft, um, you know, proud of the fact that we have four female head coaches here on staff and, uh, of course, Dana and Christy and um, Jenny Mines, our longest tenured head coach, you know, has weathered some ups and downs and, and you know, continues to, you know, just get after it every day. And then uh, our newest uh, female head coach, Lindsay Devine in volleyball, doing uh, some good things there in terms of, um, you know, turning the culture there and, and 
really have some high hopes there as well. When Jenny Mines first got here, she was uh, took over a um, lineup that had been devastated by injuries and also um, a couple of people had transferred before she even was hired. Um, and what I remember is we were playing Florida, who had uh, two girls who played in the main draw of the U.S. Open that summer. Um, we had two girls who were working um, uh, summer camp, um, yeah. te- teaching tennis that summer. Um, but, you know, she's somebody who battled and battled and battled and, you know, um, won several uh, national championships and doubles um, over the last couple of years and then has, uh, won uh, our, our first ever SEC title. Right, um, yeah. And just as some is proof that you just can continue to grind and, and work hard. I remember because I was in compliance when uh, Jenny first started in, in, in those early years. There were, So there's some rules where you have to have a minimum number of contests, a minimum number of players in each contest to maintain Division One. Well, we were... We were nervous we wouldn't have a minimum number of players to yeah. play in a minimum number of matches that year. I mean, there were literally, um, and, and Sarah tells the story of going through the, the dorms and, hey, do you have any um, gymnastics experience? Do you have any cheerleading experience? And this is in the 70s, but to be doing that during the 90s, and, hey, have you ever played tennis before? Do you want to play for the time? Right. Um, and, and literally it was, you know, one of those things that, that, there were, that was the hand that she was dealt coming in. I mean, you know, before she was even hired, this was – Circumstance, but she still took the job and still built it back up to where it is. Um, and then, you know, you were actually part of, you know, the softball start and then uh, rowing, um, which is our, our, our youngest, uh, although it's a teenager now. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and you talk about, um, you know, the, the, what the difference coaching can make. Um, you experienced it in your career with Sarah and David and Mark and, and, and everybody who was part of that. But, um, uh Glenn Putre coming in um, and uh, the, just the difference that he's made in taking this program that was great, um, or very solid anyway, to, to new levels last year, um, second in the uh, the, the, the Big 12, um, which again, people hear Big 12 and they're like, no, we're the SEC, but um, because there are only two uh, SEC schools that have rowing, us in Tennessee, um, we have to, we're, we're an auxiliary member of the, of the Big 12 in rowing. Right. Um, but, you know, what was it like kind of standing on the banks last year as, as that team kind of put it together? Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, Coach Putre uh, coming in from Gonzaga, you know, what we liked about Glenn was is that, you know, he did a lot with a little in out at Gonzaga. He didn't have a full slate of scholarships. And I'm sure like, you know, we give somebody like that an opportunity to fully resourced a uh, full slate of scholarships you know, they can do do some great things. And sure enough, you know, um, in year one, you know, credit to the student athletes, you know, that they um, bought in to the workload and what he was, uh, he and his staff were coaching. And, and, you know, to have that success right away, you know, Texas won the Big 12, but we were right there behind them. And um, he was named coach of the year in the Big 12. And so, um, you know, year two is under our belt and or getting started and so um you know we're excited to have he and his family here leading that program and but i you know both of those programs you saw like started while i was here and seeing the birth of the softball program and rowing and then their growth has been you know one of the proudest i remember softball you know playing out at sokol park with you know ant hills in the in the outfield and a 
uh, breakaway fence that the coaches set up and down every every practice and then you know to where they're at at Rhodes Stadium and, and doing some renovation now hosting the SEC tournament this coming spring as well as a game with the U.S. national team uh, just some phenomenal growth there and then rowing you know we were in a triple wide on the banks of the Black Warrior on the Northport side of the river for 10 years before we you know ended up with our boathouse at Manderson Landing so seeing those uh, two programs flourish here of late it's been fun. And then swimming obviously uh, is, is getting its new right. facility that's probably your last big project to kind of shepherd to the, the finish line um, and uh, it's coming back online what's it been like to kind of watch that grow? Yeah what you know one thing that stands out for me is that um, back in the early planning of it we touch base with some of the student athletes to talk about what you know the features in a locker room you know they were like I mean they you know were sardines in a sardine can in their locker rooms and so for to hear them talk about you know what they would like in their locker room uh, and then to see it come online and them to have a team room where they can get together as a team outside of practice and just relax or uh, you know do some studying or watch TV and um, you know I think that for them and that program is just going to really be a springboard no pun intended towards <laughs> even greater things I mean we've done under Coach Persley um, did a great job in building that team with not a lot of you know really no facility structure at all and then now that uh Coley, Coley's in town and uh, leading that program and having you know a facility to recruit to. Um, you know, it's just what Alabama athletics is about is, is making sure that we are servicing and providing our student athletes at the highest level. And that one's long overdue, but uh, actually by uh, Saturday of this week, I think that we're going to be back in the 50-meter pool and that we'll have air conditioning. <laughs> so they'll appreciate that come August. And um, so, yeah, looking forward to uh, really having that full facility back online here uh, later this week. Well, uh, Marie, we certainly appreciate all you've done um, in service of the student athletes and the coaches and everybody that you've worked with. Um, what's next? Yeah, what's next? Uh, so a friend of mine gave me the phrase radical self-care. So uh, radical self-care uh, will just be how I define that moving forward and, you know, really just taking care of me for a little bit and, uh, do some traveling, get away a little bit, but then, you know, I'll be in town here, just kind of be a fan and right. not a fanatic, but a fan <laughs> and uh, come well, support our, our programs and uh, as a fan. Well, we look forward to having you out at uh, Road Stadium uh, for the SEC Championship, but uh, relaxing with, um, you know, with, with some popcorn and a, and a Coke while, uh, while Alabama plays. That's right. Roll Tide and everyone, uh, yeah, just appreciate, you know, all the support here over the years and uh, yeah, I look forward to continuing to support our teams. So, roll Tide. Roll Tide. Marie Robbins certainly has had an amazing career and has meant the world to the Crimson Tide. We wish her only the best in retirement. That does it for this edition of the Roll Tide Cast. We hope you enjoyed and we thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and let us know what you would like to hear in future episodes. And now we leave you with this reminder from Nick Saban. But I want everybody here to know, this is not the end. This is the beginning. This has been the Roll Tidecast, the official podcast of Alabama Athletics. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen.
The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Crimson Tide Sports Network.